Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. <clears throat> Today on the show, what scares me, Morton may set a personal best and is the big man next. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Give us a uh, look-see as well on the SiriusXM app and check me out on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So what scares me? Well, there's a scenario where... If this works out, I would be very concerned about what's going to happen with the Atlanta Falcons. And that is the idea of if Matt Hennessy wins the left guard position and Drew Dahlman is obviously your center at that point. Now, a couple of reasons here. So, again, not that I have anything personal against either of those guys, but the last time we experimented with something like this, it did not go very well. Where I look at Hennessy and Dolman, if they stand side by side with one another, you're going to have two undersized offensive linemen that are trying to protect the interior of your offensive line. Now, the last time we had an, a, a smaller size center and a guy that was not experienced at the uh, left guard position, that became a disaster. And so... I look at this scenario where if I have to partner those two guys up, Hennessy and Dolman, locking arms side by side, I see a scenario where bad things are going to happen. And certainly for this offensive line, that, again, it is going to have some questions whether – mostly it is up the middle. <clears throat> I mean, I don't think we have really much question about – what Jake Matthews can do at left tackle, certainly not with the right side of our offensive line. But if the result is I, I get those two guys standing side by side, I do have big concerns about that and whether or not Desmond Ritter is going to be able to stand and navigate his way in the pocket. Now, again, the alternative is probably to start a rookie, but at least in Bergeron, who's 6'5", 321, he's got the size and the strength to be able to handle that kind of position. Now, again, the, the concern there is just the idea of he's never played left guard before. He's been a tackle his entire career. So uh, of the two scenarios, <clears throat> again, <clears throat> not that I don't like Mad Hennessy, but I would rather have Bergeron find a way to be able to start at that left guard position and find himself in the starting lineup versus I have the two undersized guys that are standing side by side to one another. I just have visions that this will not go very well, but certainly not this scenario. And I don't want to say it's not ideal because look, if Bergeron goes out there and he wins that job and he takes that job from Matt Hennessy, which is what he's going to have to do. He's going to have to play well enough you know, that he's going to take that job. But I don't see 
I don't see it being that easy that he's going to just be anointed the left guard spot. You know, again, they drafted him to potentially work his way into that starting lineup. And I think eventually he will get there. And I think he has the skill set to be able to be a guard. But again, we saw this before in a guy, you know, Jalen Mayfield, who never played guard, you know, in his college career. Now, again, Bergeron has had a lot more starting experience than what even Mayfield had in college. But again, a guy that's never played that position before. So I, I, I am worried about what this left guard center combination is going to be. Because by and large, Drew Dahlman is going to play center. <clears throat> There's not going to be another option. And Hennessy and Dahlman are both undersized guys. Their strength is not to move people forward. That's Lindstrom and McGarry on the right-hand side. Their strength is they're going to move people forward. But the strength of the two guys that are in the middle, that's not what that's not what it's about. You know, they're going to have to fool people with technique and different things like that, but they're physically not going to just be able to move people on that offensive line. So it just becomes imperative that whatever scenario happens at that left guard spot, and this is why we've talked about the idea of upgrading at that position, whether it was, you know, signing, you know, uh, the, um, the guys we had last year or drafting somebody at that spot or what have you. And they obviously did spend high draft capital in a second round pick in Bergeron, but you're asking him to <clears throat> move to another position. You're asking him to play in a spot that he's never played before. So I, I just, I, I look at this and I have these concerns about what we're going to be able to do behind that part of our offensive line. And what's every quarterback's kryptonite, right? Is coming with pressure up the middle. You know, that's every quarterback's biggest fear is that you bring pressure right up the middle. And when you have a young quarterback, look, again, I know he's mobile. I know he can, you know, avoid pressure. He can run the football if need to. But when you start trying to rattle a young quarterback, when you get to a scenario where you're rattling a young guy, that's not ideal. That's, that's not ideal to start bringing pressure up the middle defensively. And that's, look, with a young quarterback, you can guarantee if, if Hennessy and Dolman are going to stand side by side, you can 100% guarantee that the game plan is going to be to bring as much pressure up the middle on him and try to move him out of that pocket and move him around and, and try to rattle him at that point. So I, I don't know what our other options are. Maybe it's we spend some of that money that we have, $9, $10 million on a quality guard, on a quality you know guard position player that's played there previously and been a veteran at that left guard. Now, again, those guys aren't growing on trees. There probably really aren't many of those guys left. There's probably not really a, a guy that you would think that is of any quality. Maybe we're going to watch training camp, the waiver wires. Maybe we're going to find a player that we get off the scrap heap. I don't really know. I, I, I don't really have a good sense of what our game plan is for that left guard position, that, that combination of guard center, because I have flashbacks to what happened previously, just a couple of years ago. I have flashbacks to all of the bad things that were happening. And that's with a, you know, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback that we had back there. So 
I, I hope this thing, again, I don't want to say it just works itself out because I don't think it's going to be that easy. I don't think that there's just an easy solution and just, you know, the, the, the options that we have, you know, are, are perfect. But, boy, I hope in some ways that Bergeron, at least from a physical standpoint, ends up winning this, this gig and he ends up taking over that left guard spot and, and hopefully again, and I know he's a rookie, but it's just uh, of the two options. If I have to pick between Bergeron and Hennessy lining up, and this is again, not a knock against Hennessy. I think Hennessy has grown as an offensive lineman. I just look at the idea of having two guys that are undersized stand side by side to one another. And I have visions of just our quarterback having to run for his life or having problems and they're not moving the pile. And I just have all of these bad visions about what's going to happen. And that scares me. I don't, I don't want to see Hennessy and Dahlman getting blown up consistently. If that ends up happening, it's going to be a long year for Desmond Ritter. <clears throat> and we won't be able to control the line of scrimmage the way that we had hoped to. So I don't know that there's a good solution, but what definitely scares me is the idea of two undersized guys that play side by side to one another and they end up getting pushed around all right this episode is brought to you by FanDuel as you know FanDuel is America's number one sports book and as we're in the second half of the MLB MLB season FanDuel is giving the opportunity to win 10 times the amount of your first bet in bonus bets up to $200 so you can bet 20 bucks and you'll get $200 in bonus bets whether you win or whether you lose $200 you can spend on anything from betting on money lines to over-unders to who's going to hit the first home run, all of it on a safe, secure, easy-to-use app. But most importantly is when you win, you get paid instantly. And there's no better place to bet on MLB than on America's number one sports book on FanDuel. So head over to FanDuel.com slash on. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N where you can get as much as $200 in bonus bets, win or lose, <clears throat> 10 times your first bet. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. FanDuel is the official partner of Major League Baseball. So the crazy thing about Charlie Morton's year is the fact that, you know, again, it's been a nice bounce back year for Charlie Morton and obviously, you know, he's not giving up the kind of ratio of home runs that he gave up last year, right? He had the 27 home runs that he had, or 28 home runs, I guess, that he had given up next year in a 9-6 and six season that had a 4.34 uh, ERA. He did make 31 starts, 172 innings pitched, 205 strikeouts. But the crazy thing about his year this year is not just that it is kind of a bounce-back year, but when you look, he's 10 and six right now in 18 starts. And with 70 games left, you figure he's probably got 14 starts in him. If, if we do 70 divided by five, that's 14. So somewhere in that total, um, you know, it's probably the realistic number, you know, 31 to 33 starts. That's what he's made over the last two years. 31 starts last year. He led the league in 2021 with 33 starts. 
And before the pandemic year, he had started 33 and 30 games those two years in 18 and 19. But the crazy part about this is he's got 16 decisions in his 18 starts. So one is, is that obviously he's pitching deep enough in the games where he's influencing the outcome. And obviously he's not been bad enough that he's getting roughed up to where, again, he's got 16 decisions. He's not 0-16 on the year. He's 10-6 and on the year. 10-6 and on the year with a 3.2 ERA and 104 innings pitched with 115 strikeouts and 98 hits given up. So he's getting a lot of decisions in the starts that he's making. But what's crazy is to think that he's absolutely on pace to set a career high in wins. Now, his career high in wins from 17, 18, and 19, that three-year stretch where he pitched the two years in Houston and his first year in Tampa Bay, he had 14 wins in 2017, 15 wins in 2018, and uh, 16 wins in 2019. That 16 and 6 mark that he had in 2019 with a 3.05 ERA, 194 innings pitched with 240 strikeouts, where he finished third in the Cy Young voting, that's his best win total of his career. Now, it's kind of crazy to think about, you know, again, you figure major league pitchers don't win a very big accumulation of games. And, and considering the fact that Morton in 16 years only has 126 wins with 10 of those coming this year, believe it or not, Morton is absolutely on pace to set a career high in wins. If you figure the amount of starts that he's getting, if he gets 30, 32, 33 starts, he's factoring in the decision in the majority of those starts, 16 of, of his 18 starts, he's gotten decisions in. Could he potentially get to 18 to 20 games? I mean, look at the pace that he is on right now. He's trending in that direction. Now, again, as the Braves <clears throat> continue to roll and they roll through the division and they end up finding a way to, you know, expand this divisional lead and they get so far out in front that there's really not a lot of competition to it. Maybe Morton will be held back a start or two or just to get him ready for the postseason. But I don't see much of that happening. I mean, Morton's the kind of guy that's just going to eat up a whole bunch of innings for you. And he's going to be there, again, no matter what. So it's crazy to think that after the season Morton had last year, where he didn't even win double-digit games, he gave up the most home runs in his career, although his, you know, his innings pitched was, you know, again, besides, you know, take away the pandemic year, his innings pitched was the lowest it's been since 2017, career high in home runs given up, um, certainly not a very good ERA at 4.34. It's crazy to think that he's bounced back to the point where he very well may have his most wins in a season. And that's a testament to Morton, just the age and the fact that, look, if he's a 18 to 20 game winner at the age of 39, I don't know how many guys have done. I'm sure that guys have done. I mean, Clemens and some of those guys have won, I think, 20 games at 40 years old or whatever like that. 
but it is a testament to how good Morton's season really has been that he's been able to turn things around from the previous season and find himself on track at 39 years old with a potential 18 or 20 win season. And I wonder if that's the kind of note that he will leave on, you know, that if that's the kind of high note that he will leave on at the end of the year, does he retire after this season? If, if he looks at it and says, Hey, listen, I won 18 games. I won a career high in games. I had a really good bounce back here. Braves have won the World Series. Wonder if that's going to be his swan song at this point. Because again, I don't know how much better you can you can go out on. I mean, again, do you tempt fate for one more year and you know run it back? Maybe, maybe, maybe you run it back at 40 years old and see what he can do. But <clears throat> certainly, he's having a really good season. And it's kind of been lost in the shuffle of some of the numbers that we've talked about with Strider strikeouts and the runs being scored and all these other kinds of numbers. Morton's on pace to have his career high in wins. And I think very realistically, he's going to get there. He's only got to win six more games to tie his career high, seven to take over the record. You figure at the, the number of decisions that he is getting on a regular basis and the way the Braves are playing right now, that may not be a very hard number to try to beat when all is said and done. All right, as you go in and make Hitting Hard uh, your first listen, be sure to let us know on whatever podcast platform that you listen on that you're an everyday listener to the program. We like to call them our everydayers. So we do thank you so much for being a part uh, of our community and listening in five days a week. So let us know that you're an everydayer to the program that you listen in all five days out of the week. So is the big man next for the Atlanta Hawks? You know, there are a lot of rumors and, and lots of rumors that are circulating about the idea that teams want Clint Capella. And so far, the Hawks have been pretty hesitant about letting Clint Capella go because, again, while I know they have a Kongu and, and he can certainly step in, but, you know, it's not as easy as just you start, you know, 82 games in a basketball season and you just slide over into that starting role there's a lot more that comes to it <clears throat> than just starting and playing the number of minutes that's you know required for your starting center so again I, I, me personally I would like to see Capella here for one more year for one more year of mentoring and just get Okongwu to the point of you know he can be a capable starting center in this league over an 82 game stretch but there are reports that the Hawks are more and more willing to listen to offers for Clint Capella. Now, certainly the Dallas Mavericks have been linked to a lot of Clint Capella, and there was talk on draft night that he would be uh, traded, that the Mavericks were very interested in him. There was supposedly a deal that would have swapped number one picks, and he would have certainly been on the move there. There's been a lot of chatter that he's going to be the third third player involved in a three-team deal that ultimately lands Pascal Siakam to the Atlanta Hawks. So a lot of rumor and innuendo, and you wonder if there is some fire to all of that smoke that is being put out there. But why is that? Well, look, Capella's got a team-friendly kind of deal, and you say, well, 20-something million dollars. Yeah, but he, for instance, to, to put it in perspective, he's half the salary that Rudy Gobert is. Now, I'm not telling you that Rudy Gobert isn't a great defensive center and all this, that, and the other, 
But Capella's a good enough defensive center, and he's an elite rebounder, and he's a good enough scorer that at $20 million, he's not a, a bust of a player. He's not a break-the-bank kind of guy. There is a lot of value that's attached to Clint Capella, and I, I think that the Hawks really see that. I think that the Hawks really look at that and say, okay, here's a guy that we can you know, certainly do some things with, and he's been a double-double machine for his time with the Atlanta Hawks, and he's a good enough defender. He's not elite, but he is a really good, you know, low post defender. Uh, is there value in hanging on to him? And and again, if we're not going to get a lot back in it, where again, you may have to do that three team deal that involves Toronto and Dallas for Pascal Siakam. If you're trying to get a player like that, you know, those are going to be the guy, because again, DeAndre Hunter is not going to be a guy who's going to warrant that kind of value on the open marketplace. So I, I definitely think that there is, like I said, some fire with some of this smoke that I think that maybe Clint Capella is the next guy that is going to end up being moved. And when you look at the cap space that the Atlanta Hawks have with, what is it, $9, $10 million somewhere you know, in that range, you're going to probably need his salary to help offset getting in a high caliber player, you know, besides just using the trade exemption that's available to you. But again, that puts you probably right back in the luxury tax. If you do that, if you move Capella and move his salary off the books and free up 20 something million dollars, plus what the, what you have in, in the cap available to you. Now we can get ourselves a pretty good player. Now, again, we can debate and argue about what that player is and how long he's going to be here or this, that, and the other, but certainly we can find ourselves with a with a pretty good player. So I would not be surprised based upon everything that people are reading and, and certainly the rumor mill that is out there right now, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Clint Capella isn't the guy that gets moves next. It's a team-friendly contract, and I, and I say team-friendly, Again, a $20 million player is a $20 million player, but relatively speaking, he doesn't cost you a whole drastic amount of money. You know, it's not it's not $30 million. And again, in perspective, it's half the salary that Rudy Gobert is making. So from that point of view, if I can get a poor man's Rudy Gobert and I can get a double-double guy and a guy that can protect the rim – he becomes good value for the right team. Now, again, he's not a good value for Toronto, who just signed their center to a big-time contract. He's probably not a good value for them. But when you look at some of the teams, you know, the Mavericks and teams like that, that could use themselves a player of that caliber <clears throat> that are looking to get back into the playoff fold and mix, he becomes probably a very ideal and expendable piece. And we're hearing more and more reports that the Hawks are more willing now to move on from Clint Capella than maybe they were previously. Maybe they were before, before even the draft, because that was, that was the big deal that was proposed is that they would swap, you know, first on picks with Dallas <clears throat> and Capella would be on the move. And I don't know, the Hawks would get back somebody, you know, in return, but it seems like that's kind of getting a, a little bit more steam behind it now. And if the Hawks really are willing to move on from Capella, that's going to put a lot of pressure on a Kongu. It's going to put a lot of pressure on him to be able to start 82 games a year.
and play the kind of minutes that, you know, again, say what you will about Capella, but, you know, starting in the NBA is a lot different than just coming in off the bench in little spurts and bursts and things like that. You got to be there for your team. We've seen too much of that where guys aren't there to answer the bell when, when it's all said and done. So does it make sense? I don't know. If they get the right person back involved in it, it may make some sense. But I certainly have my questions about whether or not I want to give up Clint Capella just yet. I certainly have my questions about whether or not that I want to move on from him just yet. In my ideal world, I hang on to Capella one more year, ride this thing out. He's got good chemistry with Trey Young and, and, and not have to worry about starting a young guy in a Congo and throwing him right into the mix of being a starter. I know he's a capable kid and I know he's a capable player, but again, it's a big difference when you look at trying to start 82 games versus you coming off the bench and contributing that way. All right, well, thank you so much for making Hitting Hard with John Chuck for your first listen. Be sure to go in and leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform that you listen on <clears throat> that you're an everyday listener to the program. So we call them our everydayers. So we thank you so much for being a part of our community. Let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast and get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Check us out on the Sirius XM app as well. And give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 